Kevin Markwick. Good evening, everyone. Kevin Markwick here. Thank you, Adrian Corbin, for the last two hours. Fantastic, as usual. I'm with you for the next two hours. And I'm going to take you on a trawl through my childhood. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about puberty or anything. Nothing messy. Because, as you may or may not know, uh, our cinema, my cinema, at the top of the high street, the picture house, is 100 years old this year. And uh, we're celebrating the centenary. We've had all sorts of events during the year, centenary screenings. And it's, uh, it's been very entertaining. So hopefully, tonight, uh, I was in a sort of... Um, unique position of quite literally growing up in a cinema so I'm going to take you through some of the films that I was exposed to that had an impact on me and maybe tell you some stories about how films were shown in those days things I remember it'll all be a pack of lies of course I'm making this stuff up as I go along and actually what I'm playing you now is a bit of Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass Part of, uh, dotted throughout the evenings, we'll have uh, what I'm calling non-sync classics. Now, the non-sync is the piece of music that plays, um, you know, when you're coming in and there's nothing on the screen. Actually means non-synchronous sound, meaning that it doesn't belong to the film. Oh. The obvious thing at that point would be to say, excuse me, wouldn't it? Uh, but I'm not going to do that. So there you go. That's what non-sync means. It means the music. And we had these kind of discs that uh, we had this projectionist chap. Peter's name was, and he um, basically had about four discs. And uh, I've, picked, I've managed to find them, um, find uh, uh, digital versions of them. So I'm going to sort of, where I need to, make up time. Although the amount I'm speaking already, I'm probably not going to need to do that anyway. So we're going to start with actually the Jungle Book. Uh, my Own Home from The Jungle Book, first shown at the Picture House on August the 4th, 1968, which was my first visit to the cinema. If it wasn't, it's certainly the first visit that I remember. We've actually got... One of the things tonight is I've actually got here the um, the books from from the olden days that my dad filled in with all the, um, with all the figures. Uh, and I can tell you exactly what any every film took, actually, from 1964 when we took over... Uh, right up to the present day. I, I won't bore you with all that, but the uh, the Jungle Book page here, look, uh, which is actually quite a... Here we are. Wow, check that out. Jungle Book on Sunday, August the 4th, uh, played with Adventures of Bullwick Griffin, and uh, it took a great deal of money, especially for those days. We had a total of 3,330 admissions. It took 16, £615 pounds and 14 shillings. So uh, the mathematical among you can work out what that is per head 
because I certainly can't. So I'm going to play you this bit from The Jungle Book, my own home. It's a bit at the end, actually. It's a um, beautiful song that kind of stayed with me. And it's a film that kept coming back over and over and over again. You'll find that's going to be a theme that... Um, there were films that were recurring because obviously there was no uh, home video, films weren't shown on TV in the same way. So we kept repeating films, which, uh, so I guess the cinema was my own particular home. Forget about those, they ain't nothing but trouble. Just a minute. I've never seen one before. So you've seen one. So let's go. I'll be right back. I want a better look. Mowgli, wait a minute. Ah, uh, Baloo. Let him have a better look. Father's hunting in the forest. Father's cooking in the home. I must go to fetch the water till the day that I am grown. Till I'm grown, till I'm grown. I must go to fetch the water till the day that I am inevitable blue i showed that film so many times as well but the first film i remember seeing at the cinema um 
The Jungle Book uh, from 1967. Extraordinary, really. I think it's still one of their best films, isn't it? But uh, big memories of sitting in the circle, actually, if those of you that remember the circle. Actually, it'd be really great uh, if any of you out there do have memories of the cinema or of me. No, not of me. <laughs> Try and avoid me. Uh, it'd be great if we could, um, you know, just uh, hit me up on Twitter at Kevin Markwick. Or there's a Facebook page, uh, The Kevin Markwick Show, which, as I say, every time is getting a bit old and warty and I haven't looked at for a while. But you can hit me up there. Or you can even go to the um, uh, you can go to the Uckfield FM website, uckfieldfm.co.uk, and there's a kind of a um, text thing you can interact with there. So uh, I'm going to move quickly. I'm, no way am I going to get everything in tonight. I'm already horribly behind. But uh, And I'll get better at this as we go on because it's, um, it's almost like stream of consciousness, really, isn't it? Weird. So the next thing I wanted to play you actually was, uh, it wasn't long after that, it was a double feature, How to Steal the World and Speedway. Now, How to Steal the World was a Man from Uncle film. They used to put Man from Uncle films out in the UK in the cinema. They were actually uh, sort of cobbled together from the TV show in the US and they'd, they'd end up making a uh, feature-length version. And I remember absolutely adoring it. But the film I really adored was the second feature uh, uh, that August, uh, Speedway with Elvis... Presley. Um, it's actually been in, Tarantino refers to it in, um, uh, you know, the, with the cars in the restaurant. That all comes from Speedway. And he's so unbelievably cool. Go and look at it on YouTube. He's sort of probably at his most gorgeous and his most um, alluring. <laughs> but it had a massive impact on me. It's a film I remembered uh, for years and years afterwards. And we played it in this double feature. Did all right. 820 admissions. On Tuesday, August the 27th, 1967, uh, is that? Yeah. Um, took £202.19. shillings. Mad, isn't it? Take a time, hold some steel. A whole lot of sweat, a set of wheels. On the speedway, flag is down, pistons pound, plenty of engines ripping the ground. On the speedway, hold for the money and lead the pack, push the throttle and burn the track. Hit the brakes And your little girl Shivers and shakes On the speedway There's a way Coming through Kiss from your baby is pushing you On the speedway Go for the money And lead the pack Push the throttle and burn the crack Curve and swirl
Elvis Presley from Speedway. Uh, in Well, we showed that in 1968, actually, in August 1968. And I remember sitting through it. I was very small. Um, but I just absolutely remember sitting at the front of the stalls and uh, watching that with the uh, Man From U.N.C.L.E. film. So, uh, where are we going next? Oh, I'll tell you what. Um, other than the Jungle Book, uh, the other big news of Summer 68 was The Sound of Music. Now, uh, Dad was always insistent we were one of the first independent cinemas to show that film. Um, these days, we're used to having films a day of release, but consider that Sound of Music was released in March 1965. It would have had uh, exclusive runs in the West End of London, probably around six months, maybe even more. And then 70mm, that's the uh, gate, you know, the film width, which is sort of high-grade film, uh, presentations in major towns. Now, I know it played for over one year at the Regent in Brighton, um, and you just can't imagine how huge this film was. Now, without getting too uh, bogged down in, in what... Well, it's kind of an interesting thing. There was what was called barring uh, in those days, which meant that cinemas kept other cinemas out. So Brighton would bar uh, Crowborough, and Crowborough barred Uckfield, which meant that... Uh, sorry, uh, Lewis. So Brighton barred Lewis, Lewis barred Uckfield, which meant that a f Uckfield couldn't play a film until after both Brighton and Lewis had played it. I mean, kind of ridiculous, really. But what it meant was, if you imagine a film, this film had played for a year in Brighton <laughs> before we even got it. So we finally showed it in uh, on the 21st of July, 1968. Uh, and it was uh, still massive. I mean, imagine a film two years old uh, having, uh, in the two weeks, nearly 5,000 emissions. It's quite extraordinary, really. That's how different the business was in those days. So, uh, and also, actually, I've got this reel, the reel with the lonely goat herd in it. I've got this reel of film, and we used it as a test film when we were uh, building the second screen and even the third screen. So it's a, it, it's it's still a it's a thing that's stuck with me, uh, despite it not being my most favourite film. But whenever I hear this, it kind of brings back a lot of memories. Was a lonely goat herd lay hood lay hood lay Loud was the voice of the lonely goat herd lay hood lay hood Folks in a town that was quite remote herd lay hood lay hood lay Lusty and clear from the goat herd's throat herd lay hood lay hood Of a castle moat herd lay on a lay on a lay on a road with a load to tote herd lay on lay on Men in the midst of a troubled goat herd lay on lay on lay Men drinking beer with a foam afloat herd lay on a lay on a In a pale pink coat, her lay or lay or lay. She yodeled back to the lonely goat, her lay or lay Soon her mama with a gleaming goat, her lay or lay or lay. What a duet for a girl and goat, her lay or lay or low. 
The Lonely Goat Herd from uh, Sound of Music, which finally played, finally, after two years at the Picture House in 1968. Uh, now, I've got to do... Uh, I'm already horribly behind, so I've got to do a break, and when we come back, uh, some Herbie. It's new! Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Lions make ice pole. Tops of ice pole. Squeeze up ice pole. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Taste it. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Fresh, cool ice pole. Orange flavor, strawberry flavor. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Buy ice pole. Perfect. Get an ice pole now. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, ice pole. Another big part of my childhood, the love bug. Herbie, the cute VW. Dean Jones and Buddy Hackett. Now, Herbie, now! Irish coffee. (laughs) Music by George Burns. I didn't know that at the time. I was like seven. First shown in November 68. I may have seen it in November 68, I don't know. But again, like I, I will keep saying to you, films came back regularly. And that's one that used to play a lot, The Love Bug. I remember um, everyone being really excited when the second one came out. Uh, what was it called? Herbie Rides Again, there you go. They didn't do two and three and four and things like that then. Okay, so we're going to move forward to uh, December the 29th, uh, 1969. Um, Hugely popular at this time uh, were Virginia McKenna and Bill Travers. Uh, They'd had huge hits with Born Free and slightly less so with a a, a film called An Elephant Called Slowly. I remember watching it at the time and thinking, this is (laughs) very correctly named. But to be fair, again, I was eight. What did I know? Uh, It wasn't, you know, I don't remember that much about it, if I'm honest. I'll stop on that one now. But anyway, it was Ring of Bright Water that wiped me out. That was a film we were always playing. Uh, in, um, and I, I would have seen that at the end of 1969. And, you know, I don't think they'd... Would they make that film today? The end is so traumatic if you've not seen it. Uh, you know, if you've seen Old Yellow, you'll know what I'm, what I'm driving at. And uh, Ring of Bright Water was the same. And still, to this day... Uh, when I hear this music, it always my bottom lip starts to sort of quiver as I think of poor Midge the Otter. Where sun and wind play on a ring of bright water, that's where my heartland will be. The deer on the hill. The first snow of winter, the gull in the 
the sky winging free I wandered away from the dark crowded city leaving my old life behind and came to a place where a rain of bright water dazzled the care from my mind so I seen it in a long time uh maybe it wouldn't have the same effect but it traumatized me as a child <laughs> uh what was it he said it was like what 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 um which was what the uh the otter was saying have you seen it let me know hit me up on twitter at kevin markwick or in the studio um you can go to upfieldfm.co.uk and you can leave me a message on the texty thing. Or there's a Facebook page you can go to, The Kevin Markwick Show. I'll have a look in a minute, see if anyone's checked in. But it would be good to hear from you, what sort of memories you have. I sadly don't have any uh, photographs of the interior of the cinema when it was a single unit. I can close my eyes, you know, when it was one screen. I can close my eyes and I can see it, but I can't, I, I have no pictures of it. Somebody out there must have a picture of it. It would be great to get hold of it, particularly for our, we've got a, a book coming out at the end of the year of uh, celebrating the centenary. It would be great to get that in. Um, I'm going to play you something from Cabaret now, sort of oddly, really. It kind of stands out. But I remember at the time uh, it made a big, big fuss um, early in 1972 because it was an ex-certificate that uh, 
took proper mainstream money, which uh, confused my father slightly because this had never happened before, uh, not big money. Um, and for years afterwards, I sort of lived with the idea that ex certificates can't take money. And it's a sort of perceived wisdom that adult films uh, never, never take the big money. But this was kind of one of the first grown-up films to sort of break that. Well, I suppose Midnight Cowboy before that. But Cabaret was uh, it, 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 it was mentioned around the house a lot. I didn't see it until later because of the ex certificate, of course. Uh, and uh, I still love it. But this is the beginning. Real common... Marvellous stuff. Joel Grey, of course, Oscar winning. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome. Fremde, étranger, stranger. Glücklich zu sehen, just as enchanté. Happy to see you, bleibe reste stehen. Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome in cabaret, oh cabaret, to cabaret. Meine Damen und Herren, Mesdames et Messieurs, Ladies and Gentlemen, Comment ça va? Do you feel good? Ich bin euer Konferencier. I am your host und sage, Welcome and bienvenue. Welcome in cabaret, oh cabaret, to cabaret. Leave your troubles outside. So, life is disappointing. Forget it. In here, life is beautiful. The girls are beautiful. Even the orchestra is beautiful.
Wonderful stuff from Cabaret in 1972, um, which was a big, big hit with the audiences uh, of Uckfield. Now, I have to tell you that actually, um, you know, I could have gone down any number of different paths with this one tonight. I could have picked these films or that film or this film because, you know, obviously really, really lucky to be able to see all these films in a cinema and not only that, be able to see them endlessly, you know, over and over again. So... I guess, you know, that was really, really fortunate and uh, didn't do me any good, though, did it? <laughs> I'm still here, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, would I change it? Probably. Uh, so what? let's have a look. Where are we going next? Um, one of my big weaknesses. We're going to sit forward to 1974, actually, um, because uh, it gets more interesting that way. One of my big weaknesses. Actually, the book's really fascinating because... You know, it's there's a lot of stuff in there that you just oh my goodness, you think well, what? and one screen is a very good indicator of why we have multiple screens now. Because if you get the wrong film for a week in one screen, that's your week finished. It's over. Uh, anyway, so uh, one of my big weaknesses uh, actually are disaster movies uh, from the 1970s. I have to say, uh, uh, November the eighth, 1970 was the first um, time we played Airport. Um, uh, it was a sort of big cast, interweaving storylines and all that kind of stuff. I can't claim to have seen it in 1970 uh, when it was released, but because uh, films came back in those days, as I keep saying, we were still playing it on reruns as late as April 1974, actually. Um, it was an amazing week. Uh, Sunday, Sunday for four days, the Italian job in Monte Carlo or bust, more of which later. Uh, double feature and Thursday for three days uh, airport and two mules for sister Sarah uh, more of which later and then on Thursday Friday and Saturday in the afternoon so it must have been Easter I suppose uh, Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory there's kind of uh, most of cinema history there in that week because we played two films yeah in those days you had two films a double feature and they went on forever <laughs> Well, it started at like 7 o'clock in the evening and not finished at 11 o'clock. Anyway, uh, this is the fantastic uh, opening theme from Airport, which kind of totally, totally sums up the wonder of disaster movies. I mean, that massive cast, Burt Lancaster, Jacqueline Bissett, um, uh, George Kennedy, um, Van Heflin. I was always very sad for Van Heflin. I was, my heart always went out to him, even though he blew the plane up. I thought, this is a really sad man. And um, what's his name? You know, Moon Hits Your Eye, Like a Big Pizza Pie. Dean Martin. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. Have a listen to this. Thank you. 
That's how you start a film, with opening credit music like that. Uh, Alfred Newman's wonking great score for Airport from 1970, directed by George Seaton. Uh, it was based on that sort of big uh, well, airport novel. <laughs> they call them airport novels, great big sort of doorstop of a book. Um, an amazing, clean, bright um, cinemascope photography by uh, Ernst, uh, Ernest Laszlo. Uh, wonderful stuff. It looks and the impossibility, the glamour of uh, air travel was still something at the time. You know, it wasn't all about the way we feel about it now. So uh, I'm going to take a break. Um, probably have a lie down, calm down a bit, uh, and we'll be Ennio Morricone with two mules. Part of that amazing week, which uh, I think we'd all like to go back and see. But anyway, uh, break and then uh, two mules. <laughs> Music from uh, Enio Marconi's music from Thingy, <laughs> Two Mules for Sister Sarah, which played as a second feature to Airport in that week in 1974. And I remember seeing it on the Saturday night. I felt very sophisticated. I was going in the evening. I think I had to take the girl from next door or something. And we were busy too. I remember sitting up in the circle. And it was great. It's a Western. And actually, Tarantino ripped that off again, didn't he? For. Um, he used the music in uh, Django Unchained. Because he's shameless. Now, oh, this book's heavy, actually. Now, what was I going to tell you next? Oh, uh, so, yes, we're still on this thing where all these films that kind of kept coming back over and over again were like a motif all the way through my sort of formative years, and I grew up with them, as you did. You would have grown up with a lot of them, too. I just had this slight um, advantage of being able to see them in the cinema over and over again. Um... I just noticed actually that the webcam is working, so you can go and look at the back of my head if you want on uckfieldfm.co.uk. Although why you would want to do such a thing, I don't know. But you can interact with the show at the same time, so you can, um, yeah, admire my lustrous locks and uh, let me know if you have any memories at all. That would be great. So of course, uh, that one of the big films that week, or one of the repeats that week, was the Italian Job which really was a film that kept coming back over and over and over again. And um, 
you know, it still holds up. We still show it occasionally now for special events. People ask to see it. And it still looks great on the big screen. And uh, again, maybe it's something to do with cinema owners. I don't know, or cinema people. But the opening credits, I love the opening credits, the way the music, uh, the, 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 the lettering sliding on and off the screen as the um, Ferrari guns its way around those amazing hairpin bends uh, in Italy. Questi giorni quando vieni il bel sole la 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 On days like these when skies are blue and fields are green I look around and think about what might have been And then I hear sweet music float around my head As I recall the many things we left unsaid It's on days like these that I remember Singing songs and drinking wine While your eyes played games with mine On days like these I wonder what became of you Maybe today you're singing songs with someone new I'd like to think you're walking by those willow trees Remembering the love we knew on days like these It's on days like these that I remember Singing songs and drinking wine While your eyes play games with mine On days like these I wonder what became of you Maybe today you're singing songs with someone new Questi giorni quando vieni il bel sole La la He's about to meet a sticky end in that tunnel, you know. 
What's his name? Was it Rosano Brazzi? I think it was, wasn't it? And you... <laughs> still in your widow's weeds. That's one of the greatest lines ever. Now, um, you know, everyone does... You're only supposed to blow the doors off and all that, but I like... And you still in your widow's weeds. And, you know, the thing about that film was... By the time it got to, I don't know, what were we on, 1974, the prints were in tatters. Because one of the things you, uh, it, it, back then was that they... How can I explain? Uh, when we were still using film, say 10 years ago, we don't anymore, it's digital. Um, but, you know, Harry Potter would go out and a thousand prints. You know, it'd be a thousand prints and they'd flood the country. Uh, a film like The Italian Job probably only had about 50 prints because it kind of made its way slowly. You remember what I was saying about barring, you know, how this cinema couldn't come into that cinema and finish with it. So there's probably, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, there were usually only 50, perhaps 100 prints of a film. Now, because they kept... Yeah, and Harry Potter, once it finished in cinemas, that was it. They put chainsaws through the prints, they'd finished. That was it, they were done. They did their six weeks and that was it. Whereas these films kept coming back again and again and again, which meant they had to be uh, made up, which means that they had to be put on the spools and joined up and all those kind of things and changeovers, which because in those days we used to go from one projector to another. You didn't have these big long players that we had towards the end of film where you could play the whole film in one go. Um, so uh, I think by that time we had uh, 5,000 for spools which was a very very strange number 6,000 was better but you know that's um, not quite sure why dad bought 5,000 for sports anyway which meant you could get two reels on a, on a reel but um yeah so the prints were what we called in tatters like some people have been using them for stair carpet you know so they were scratched and bits missing and the italian job was a classic one because so many people were playing it all the time you really never knew what kind of print was going to turn up what kind of condition it would be in and you'd have to prize the tin open and it would just be grinning at you this horrible sticky covered in oil and and joins and what we call v-cuts where you had to kind of cut into the side of the film to stop it from tearing um somebody out there knows what i'm talking about but uh so you know it was that's one of my one of my memories of the italian job it isn't just um what a great film it was but you know it was usually 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 viewed through a sort of rain of scratches anyway um now uh, one of my other all-time favorites um in fact, it remains one of my favourite films now. Blazing Saddles. <sighs> I was first allowed to sneak in and see it on Friday the 13th of September 1974. I know that because I'm looking at it here. Because um, it started on Sunday, September the 8th. We had, um, in those days, the films ran from Sunday to Saturday, not like they do now. Um, and bear in mind it was a double A. Mm. So this was just before my 13th birthday special treat. Dad let me in, sneaked in. I sneaked into the back of the circle after the uh, lights had gone down because you had to be 14 to see a double A. And it had a massive impact on me. It's had a massive impact on my kids. You know, they all love Mel Brooks as much as I do, which always, uh, always makes me feel good. And uh, I honestly, there's, you know, a lot of films, but this one I never, never, never tire of. Oh, 
blazing saddle He wore a shining star His job to offer battle To bad men near and far He conquered fear and he conquered hate He turned dark night into day He made his blazing saddle A torch to light the way When outlaws ruled the west And fear filled the land A cry went up for a man with guts To take the west in hand They needed a man who was brave and true With justice for all as his aim Then out of the sun rode a man with a gun And Bart was his name Yes, Bart was his name He rode a blazing saddle He wore a shining star His job to offer battle To bad men near and far He conquered fear and he conquered hate He turned dark night into day He made his blazing saddle A torch to light the Frankie Lane, Blazing Saddles. Now, the story goes that uh, Frankie Lane didn't know it was a spoof, which is why it works so well, because he just gives it everything, doesn't he? It's completely authentic. And everything about that film is authentic. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, we all know every single word in our house. <laughs> we're very sad. Don't ever come around with Blazing Saddles or the producers are on the TV, because all we're doing is quoting along for it. Probably the most quotable film ever is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, outside of Withan or I, probably. Um, and actually, my dad invented a double feature. We had a cinema in Eastbourne, the Tivoli Cinema in Eastbourne, and he invented a double feature, Blazing Saddles, because he was always putting these films together, Blazing Saddles and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, which took an absolute fortune. This is in the mid-'70s, you know. Both These films were both kind of old by then anyway. Um the, I mean, Holy, Holy Grail was a you know big thing for me at the time. I was a massive, massive um, Monty Python fan, and I was beside myself with excitement when I went to the first showing that we showed it on uh, Sunday the 15th of June, 1975. Wow. Uh, I sat through it on my own, because Martin Turner didn't make it. He said he was ill. Who knows? It could have been true, but I still, you know... And it was just just wonderful to see something so anarchic. However, we had this um, uh, double feature which played forever. Blazing Saddles and um, Monty Python and Holy Ground took an absolute blinking fortune. Well, that's the round table. We dance where we're able. We do routines to call the scenes to put work in bed cable. We dine well here in Camelot. We eat ham and jam and scamot. Times we give them rhymes that are quite unseen able. We're off to Maddie Camelot, we sing from the diaphragm. 
I have to push the pram a lot. I know you're all saying it, aren't you? Let us not go to Camelot, it is a silly place. <laughs> Kevin Markwick. John Williams score for The Towering Inferno. Another wonking disaster movie. I'm not playing Poseidon Adventure, which is one of my favourites. Or Earthquake, which is not very good. But man, I love The Towering Inferno. I just realised, actually, that in September 74, when I saw Blazing Saddles... 
I was just coming up to my uh, 12th birthday. Not my 13th. No wonder I've turned out like I have. I shouldn't have been watching all that bean blowing off behaviour. There was nothing in it really. What was it a double A? Why did you have to be 14 to see Blazing Saddles? Has the, has the world moved on, do you think? And we don't understand. Nothing in it, was there? I suppose maybe the um, satire on racism might have been difficult to, to understand. Anyway, yeah, more disaster movie soundtrack. John Williams' score for the biggest of the disaster movies, The Towering Inferno. In 1975, we played that. Everyone was in that movie. Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, Faye Dunaway, William Holden, Richard Chamberlain. Even O.J. Simpson. Erwin Allen was the uh, master of special effects. He was a sort of um, Busby Berkeley of special effects. He didn't direct the film, that was John Gillerman. John Gillerman. I've got it on Blu-ray. It still looks great. So we're deep into the 1970s now. We're deep into the 1970s and uh, the sort of commercial end of the tough American cinema. I mean, uh, as I would come to understand later in life, uh, 70s American cinema was something quite special. But there was definitely the commercial edge to it. Um, these films I look back on now as, as classics anyway. Um, and so I'm going to play a bit of music. This is uh, Taking a Panel 123 about a robbery on the New York subway, which I saw uh, in October 1975. It didn't play on release. Uh, it just played for two days on October the 5th. Uh, and the other five days were um, Brannigan, which is a strange kind of British John Wayne cop movie uh, with Richard Attenborough and Sally Geeson. Strange thing. It's got the car going over Tower Bridge, yeah? Nope, you haven't seen it, have you? Uh, yeah, he's an American cop in London. And it was coupled with Sleeper, Woody Allen's hilarious classic, classic knockabout futuristic comedy. Very strange double bill. I think UA actually did put that together. It was an official... An official program. Anyway, um, three days of the Condor, uh, not three days of the Condor. Um, taking a pen on one, two, three. Far superior to the uh, um, rather lame remake. Uh, and this is David Shire's uh, great score. <laughs>
David Shire's music from The Taking of Pen on One, Two, Three. You know, I remember, cause I suppose having been exposed to all these films and taking them all in, like kids do. I mean, I forget, I forget what I have for lunch now, but uh, we kind of as kids take everything in. And I remember seeing um, uh, Reservoir Dogs many years later, and then Mr. Red, and Mr. Blue, and Mr. Green. And I'm thinking that's taking a pen on one, two, three. He's ripped it straight off of that. His, you know, Tarantino's obsession with seventies movies was apparent then, because that's what they call all the the villains that were um, hijacking the uh, subway train. Were all they called themselves, Mister Blue, Mister Green, Mister Pink, and all that kind of stuff. So you know, there's not an original thought in his body, is there? Uh, more clam- more classic seventies now. Uh, Three Days of the Condor uh, from uh, well, we played it in 1975. Uh, yeah, it was uh, no, came out in 75. We played it in 76. I have to say, actually, I saw this at the ABC in Eastbourne. <laughs> Splitter. I used to go and stay with my nan. <laughs> and just to make a change, I'd go to the cinema, which uh, I would still do now. Uh, sometimes my wife despairs if we go away. Let's go to the cinema. It's the safest place to be. Um, and I saw it yeah, I saw it there in a double feature with a film called Posse which wasn't bad, actually. It was a Western with Bruce Dern and Kirk Douglas. Mm. I haven't seen that or even thought about that for a long time. It's just popped into my head. But Three Days of the Condor was directed by Sidney Pollack, starring Robert Redford as a low-level CIA operative on the run from his own people. Again, amazingly kind of 70s sound. We ran it uh, in the end, actually, in January 1976. Uh, For five days, didn't do much, actually. 37 emissions, 25 emissions... Remember, this is in like a 350-seater. Um, but actually, there was a sh- uh, sort of short subject, about uh, two reloads, we used to call them, as we doctors called them, sort of 30-minute uh, um, second feature called Romance with a Double Bass, which I'm not sure that's been seen for a while. That was very funny. Uh, John Cleese and Connie Booth, uh, they both lose their clothes, and uh, all they've got is this double bass and, and the, the, you know, the, the double bass, what do you call it? case to put it in so he hides her in the double bass case and they have to kind of because they're naked they have to get back to this concert anyway you had to be there but i wonder if you can get that on 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 uh, dvd i quite like to see that again um and so yes uh, here's uh part of uh dave grusin's very 70s three days of the condor Thank you. 
Three Days of the Condor. Dave Goosin's groovy music. It kind of stands up, that film. Uh, there's a streak of misogyny in it, which is quite difficult to take now. But there's some good stuff in it. I remember really enjoying it at the time. But I was only small. It's very easy to make uh, these kind of, you know, I know I know things about films I didn't know then. I just kind of reacted to them honestly. Um, so while the Americans were making all this exciting mainstream cinema, as well as raising the bar with movies from the likes of Hal Ashby and Bob Raffleson, um, Five Easy Pieces, yes. Um, what we were making here in Britain... Mm, other than Ken Russell and Nick Rogue, who were producing groundbreaking films like The Devils and Don't Look Now, we were mostly making a depressing round of softcore pornography and TV spin-offs. Uh, do you know uh, the year On the Buses came out, which I think it was like 73 or something? It was the biggest film of the year. On the Buses? Well, certainly the biggest British film of the year, anyway. It was kind of depressing. Dad's Army was huge. There was a Dad's Army film. And then they kind of got steadily worse and worse. Man About the House, Father, Dear Father... Are You Being Served? They all had movie spin-offs. God, it was depressing. It's a miracle, actually. Cinema's got to 100 years old, frankly. <laughs> it's a miracle we're still here, having to play all that stuff. You know, because actually looking at the week, uh, we were playing, yeah, ups and downs of a handyman. I mean, really? I had to play that for four days. Although it did all right on a Sunday, 274 people. The rest of the week was no good. I was just kind of depressing, really. And that's kind of what I, that's what I came in. That's what I, what I sort of... Eventually learned to show films, and that's the kind of stuff that I had to put up with. Anyway, there were a few bright spots. Uh, the Strength of British Pop actually produced films by Slade, Slade in Flame, which I loved. Um, but that's been covered in the sea elsewhere. And also Heartthrob David Essex. Uh, I remember really clearly lots of girlies getting very excited. I, was, uh, I suddenly, for about five minutes, became really popular at school with all the ladies. It was about... Um, the only other time I got popular with the ladies was when we were showing Grease. <laughs> Grease or the other one, Saturday Night Fever, which no one could get into because that was an X. But, you know, they just wanted the free tickets. Well, it was very difficult to get free tickets for anyone, I have to say. I remember first girl I took to the cinema, we saw Grease, and uh, it was like two for the stalls. Oh, uh, that's four pounds. Uh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I had to pay for my girlfriend to go to the cinema. Anyway... That's a whole other story. But Stardust and That'll Be The Day. Um, the Friday night, I remember, it was just they were bashing the door down. David, I mean, both, uh, both of the films were old by then, but David Essex had sort of hit, hit his peak um, of popularity with the lady persons. And uh, so that's kind of... Uh, it's that sort of typical British thing... Um, that we make those pop star films, you know, man, you know, boy makes good, boy takes drugs, boy either kills himself or learns a valuable lesson, pretty much like the rest of us, really. But it did produce a hit called Stardust. Well, he used to high fly, 
but he crashed out the sky in a stardust ring. Hey, rock and roll, kick down. Roll on up, won't you come and take a look at me? He's the leader of the band Yes, a lonely man Do you, do you want to take his hand? Yes, you know you can Stardust from Stardust, uh, David Essex and his kind of reasonably short-lived movie career. That would be the day, which is a sort of fifties thing, uh, where he, Jim McLean. Oh, I remembered that. Look at that. Why did I remember that? He plays Jim McLean, who goes off, uh, leaves his um, new wife and baby to make his thing as a rock and roll star at the end, and then he becomes a rock and roll star in Stardust. Pretty sure it's the same character. And then, um, you know, inevitably goes the way of all rock stars in movies. I don't know why I'm telling you this, really. It's not that interesting. Um, what did I, there's something I wanted to say about that, but I can't remember what it was. Anyway, um, we're going to have an ad break now. And when we come back, we're kind of moving to, uh, yeah, some... This is when it gets really formative for me. <laughs> don't worry, nothing icky. May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke... Seating areas on the right-hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no-smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated. Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM.
Jack Nisha's score from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Now, I'm looking at the book here, and this is like May 1976. Now, I saw this film. I always thought I saw this film when it came out because it has such a massive impact on me. It was the film that sort of first woke me up to the possibility of uh, cinema in a different way. I'm not quite sure what I mean by that, but not just sort of wham-bam entertainment. And there was something about it that, um, you know, was obviously extraordinary. It won every Oscar going and endures to this day. In fact, we even played it in our centenary screenings uh, over the last 12 months. But I'm looking at this and thinking, May 76? I was only coming up for 14, and it was an X certificate. I don't know. I must have seen it, because I very clearly remember... um, standing at the top of the stairs and then sort of sneaking into a seat and watching it so maybe you know maybe nobody noticed i was watching it but uh, it did kind of well first week 795 admissions took 554 pounds and 35 pence but it kept coming back over and over and over again um and that was another one that i ended up running as a projectionist myself and it would always come in you know never quite sure what aspect ratio it was going to come in but that's a that's a boring thing it was another one because it was United Artists who were very famous for not um, making new prints. It, by the time it got to the end of its life, it was, <laughs> I think it breathed a sigh of relief and just collapsed. Um, so, yes, now, uh, what, what did I want to do? Oh, yes, after that bombshell um, of uh, thingy, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, uh, I then discovered the wonderful madness of Ken Russell. I have very, very clear memories of sitting in the circle uh in the cinema um, watching tommy in june 1976 from the rock opera by the who uh, this film basically practically invented the pop video and um awoke me to the possibility of uh, ken russell who uh, i've remained a massive fan of ever since we could do with some ken now absolutely do with some ken in the british film industry uh but sadly he's left us <laughs>
place was swinging to gospel music by night. Group after group, being on the stage, Sally just sat there crying. She bit her nails, looking pretty as a picture, right in the very front row. And then one of the faithful came on stage and shouted, Here we go! Sally Simpson from the soundtrack of Tommy, the Who rock opera, directed by the incomparable um, Ken Russell. Now, uh, I wasn't allowed to see it at the time. He made um, The Devils in uh, 72. I'll double-check on that one. Um, But oddly, it was a film that we always used to take an awful lot of money with because we were the only ones allowed to play it. Um, I know Dad was always um, sticking the devils in because you couldn't play it in Tommage Wells, they'd banned it there. You couldn't play it in Eastbourne, they'd banned it there. I'm pretty sure it was banned in Brighton. So if you stuck the devils on for a couple of days, you'd clean up. Very nice. Um, you know, because that's ultimately why we're here, is to make as much, uh, make as much of a living as we possibly can. But that Tommy was the, my my 
personal introduction to Ken Russell and I went to see it every single night and uh, there was me and about 30 other people in there I remember that very clearly but um so now uh, how am I doing for time not too bad so the big event then finally on November the 7th 1976 Jaws arrived now the eagle-eyed among you will know or the eagle-eared you say eagle-eared on the radio yeah We'll know that it uh, came out in 1975. <laughs> in fact, it was released in the UK, um, Boxing Day 1975. Now, the thing was, Universal, uh, which was being released by CIC at the time, one for the uh, younger listeners there, um, wanted four weeks for it. In those days, there were no... Because now you can't ask for more than two weeks for a film, but at that time, you could ask what you like, and four weeks was the minimum playing time, and they wanted 70% film hire, uh, which we don't quite get that now uh, for big films, which was outrageous. And when you only had one screen to tie it up for four weeks for a big film, uh, he didn't feel he could do that. He he didn't play it. <laughs> I was absolutely beside myself. What do you mean we're not playing Jaws? Um, and actually, again, I sneaked off. I went to stay with then went to the ABC Eastbourne and saw it every day for a fortnight. How sad is that? I think my uncle was working there at the time, so he let me in. But, um, yeah, every day for a fortnight. <laughs> you can't wonder I've turned out like I have. Um, but we finally got around to it in Uckfield on Sunday, November the 7th, 1976. So that's a full, what, 11 months nearly behind release. Um, because by that point it was on two weeks only. You still had to play it for two weeks, even in, even in November, even 11 months off the release. And I think the terms had gone down to 55%, <laughs> which uh, is still quite a lot, actually, for a film that old. Uh, yeah, and actually, yes, he... Um, but in those days, he wouldn't play two Sundays the same either, so we had it for... F we didn't play, quite play it for 14 days, because the Sunday in the middle, we had Chinese Connection and Hell's Bells, which is hardly worth... And actually, nobody came to see the second week of Jaws at all. It's, like, really bad. 28 people, 36 people, 51 people. The Saturday was all right, 387. But there you go. And that wouldn't be the first film that happened to, either. But anyway, when you mention Jaws, which still remains everybody's favourite, you have to play it, don't you?
There's some hardcore uh, film scoring for you there. Not just the main title, but also First Victim. Uh, the scary, scary, really... Um, let's start a film off like that uh, moment. Which we all remember. So I've got to take an ad break now because I'm horribly behind. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to get into a scary film. Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM. So scary music now. Carrie in 1977. Absolutely frightened the bejesus out of me. It was the first um, Stephen King adaptation and the first film to use a massive jolt at the end. You know, when the hand comes out of the grave, I remember Dad turning the sound right up. So we go, Wah! You see the whole audience move backwards. Hilarious fun. Brian De Palma directing. Sissy Spacek was amazing. Amy Irving and the incredible Piper Laurie as the mother. This is the bit where um, they're praying and she kind of all the knives go into her mother's hands and arms and she crucifies her against the wall all wrapped up in the score that runs almost contrary to the action by Pino Donaggio I'm just looking at the book actually you can see because what we're doing here we're running down to the sort of end of the 70s um and things were desperate, really. I mean, we were on seven-day bookings, but I'm looking at films like Victory and Tebby. Wow, The Enforcer. Grizzly. Now, Taxi Driver, which everyone thinks is a, you know, um, was either a hit or it was certainly a classic, amazing film, but nobody came to see it out here in the sticks. We had 325 people in in a week. Sweeney, that did all right. Manual 2. And here's Carrie. Wasn't that great. We did all right on the Sunday, but the rest of the week was not up to much. So this is one screen. So the rationale being what he did in the end, he was working very hard at this point in um, coming up with a plan and raising the money to turn um, Picture House from one screen into two. Marathon Man, disaster. Cross of Iron, disaster. Nickelodeon, disaster. Really hard times. Sunday, March the 27th, hot and blue and hungry for sex. Yeah. Oh, Sound of Music came back. That's how desperate we were. Pink Panther Strikes Again. Oh, Cuckoo's Nest was back. So, uh, anyway, there were some bright spots. I don't want to depress you too much. Bond. Now, you've noticed we haven't done any Bond. Uh, he obviously played a huge part in my childhood. In fact, the films, uh, the films and I are the same age. 1962. Uh, I'd watched them before The Spy Who Loved Me in 1977. In fact, we were constantly doing Bond double features, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Russia and Goldfinger. I mean, they went on all night. A few Bond films are under two hours. Um, but Spy Who Loved Me was the first Bond I was really old enough to properly enjoy and take part in the process of screening. Uh, coming up to my 15th birthday and already working at weekends, I'd got Stan was in there. <laughs> and the release of a James Bond film was always a big thing. And the release patterns over the years were generally the same. What they used to do was um, release them in coastals only. 
Oh, it's just bonkers. So if you had a cinema, whatever, however awful it was, if it was by the sea, it got the bond for the whole summer. Um, and then finally they do a London release at the end, probably first week in September. So, and that went on for years, kind of daft, really. And we find ourselves, so we find ourselves playing um, Spy Love Me on September the 18th, 1977, after it had been playing Brighton and Eastbourne and Hastings and everybody all summer. But of course, Bombay and Bond did very well. Much as I dislike Dodger. Oh, really? Um, I still got a soft spot for that one. From The Spy Who Loved Me in 1977. Uh, nobody Does It Better. By Thingy. <laughs> Carly Simon. <gasps> Thank goodness. I haven't done that too many times tonight. Uh, how am I doing? <gasps> I'm running horribly out of time. Um, 
so being a weird kid as you may have noticed there were two films uh from 1977 that have stayed with me now the first one is the obvious one so we'll get that out of the way first Star Wars, 1977, as we all know. However, <laughs> the same applied. That came out, uh, it came out obviously famously summer 77 in the US, and films in the UK were way behind in those days. It came out Boxing Day, 1977. Four weeks, 80% Fox wanted, so uh, Dad decided no way are they getting four weeks for that. Um, and we had to wait. Again, I was beside myself. What? Why? Um, and we waited all the way until uh, 1978. August the 13th, 1978 was when we first played Star Wars. So again, what, fully eight months behind release? It was still huge, though. But man, we still had to play it for two weeks. And it was, yeah, 55%. That was the one that was 55%. So the first week took £1,351.37B, of which £743.36 went back to Fox. See, and I had a short with it, um, which got a percentage of the take, which is why you never see shorts anymore, because um, somebody wised up, I think George Lucas must have gone, why, out of the money we gave the distributor, a small, like, 1% of what we gave the distributor went to the short film that was with it. And can you imagine what 1% of the, of the cinema bill for Star Wars was? It was enormous. Anyway. I digress. Being a weird kid, there were two films in 77 that have stayed with me. Star Wars, the obvious one. We all love Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, however, my other favourite film that year was Woody Allen's masterpiece, Annie Hall. And I, I, it never, I've only really been thinking about it in the last few years. Why? Why is it one of my favourite films? I, mean, I know why it's one of my favourite films. It's an amazing piece of work. But at the age of uh, 14... <laughs> At 77, 15, it makes no sense. I wasn't middle-aged. I certainly didn't know anything about women. I certainly wasn't from New York, and I certainly wasn't Jewish. Maybe it's because it made me feel smart that I kind of understood bits of it. I don't know. 
but it's a film I still watch. I think it's his best film. And this is um, Diane Keaton's lovely uh, singing, Seems Like Old Times. Seems like old times Having you to walk with Seems like to have my arms around you Still the thrill that it was the day I found you seems like We need the eggs. So that's it. I've completely run out of time, annoyingly. I could have gone on for hours, frankly. But I'll put you out of your misery with this nightmare. <laughs> I've always been the kind of man who So... On Sunday, January the 14th, 1978, the old single-screen theatre closed and building commenced on the two-screen version of the picture house and a new chapter dawned. We actually closed with Death Wish. That's a cheery one to finish with. I remember actually the aforementioned Martin Turner and I stood and saluted the tabs as, we, as they went across... Tabs is what we doctors call curtains in the cinema. Anyway, on mine, on the 19th of March, 1979, the brand new screen 2 opened. And it was every which way but loose. Left turn, Clyde. Orangutans, Clint Eastwood. 
and all that sort of stuff. While you're turning me, every which way And it kind of saved us, to be honest. Every which way Two screens better than one. Inside and then we built three screens. And here we are, celebrating a hundred years. It's been quite a ride. Anyway, I can't play this properly, which is probably a good thing, because I've got to go. But it's been great having you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have. I could do several of these, and they'd all have different tunes in them. I didn't mention Space Odyssey. It should find me someplace new. Didn't mention being there. But right this minute, so many. Anyway, thank you for listening. I love you all, and I'll see you next time. Still keep I'll leave you with Eddie Rabbit. Every which way but loose. Past, Sounds like a constipation cream, doesn't it? Cause I can feel me fading fast. No night, everyone. While you're t- the radio station for Uckfield. This is Uckfield FM.